Praise God. You may be seated. Hallelujah. What's wrong with these monitors? I can't hear them. Whatever. Praise God. Oh, that's better. I don't have them. Seems like I am perpetually hoarse these days. I go away and minister and I talk more out of the pulpit than in the pulpit. And you may be shocked at that considering how long I talk in the pulpit. So, Praise God. Uh, isn't it awesome how many youth and young adults we have? See how the crowd got smaller significantly. Amen. So, <laughs> so I'm talking to the mature. Hallelujah. Just some of us are more mature than others. Praise God. Turn with me, please, to Exodus 18. Exodus 18. Exodus 18 and verse... 13, Exodus 18, verse 13. I'm going to read several verses. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto unto him, The thing that thou doest, is not good. The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel And God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward. In other words, pray for the people. That thou mayest bring the causes unto God. Thou shalt teach them. So you're going to pray for them. You're going to teach them the word of God, the ordinances and laws. And shalt show them the way wherein they must walk. And the work that they must do. The four ministries of those who are called to preach. Pray for the people first. Teach the word of God. 
teach the ways of God, the walk, how to walk with God, and teach the work that people must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And that shall be, it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge, they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all of Israel, and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. They judged the people at all seasons, the hard causes they brought unto Moses. But every small matter they judged themselves, and Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went into his own land, way, he went his own, his way into his own land. You may be seated. It is really important to note that this passage, this, these scriptures refer to a time that was two full chapters, two full chapters before God gave the law. Two full chapters. Before God gave his word, he gave his structure. You want to know how important structure is to God? Before God gave his word to Israel, he gave the revelation of how Israel was supposed to be ministered to. The structure. Two full chapters. God did not give the law until Exodus 20. But he gave the structure in Exodus 18. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. He was an Ethiopian. How do I know that? Because uh, (laughs) Miriam, his sister, got in trouble with God. Because she was upset that Moses was married to an Ethiopian. What did that mean? He was in an interracial relationship. His marriage was interracial. And because because Miriam had a problem with it, God smote her with leprosy. Because she stood against Moses and his and God's choice of a wife for Moses. Just putting that out there. Just uh, 
The point is, if Moses' wife was an Ethiopian, then her father was not a Jew, he was not a Hebrew, he was an Ethiopian. But he is identified as a prophet of God. And uh, Moses lived at his father-in-law's house for 40 years. Tended his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years. Before God sent him back to Egypt to set the people of God free. When he left his father-in-law's house to go back to Egypt. He left his wife and two sons with his father-in-law. This was a dangerous mission, and he did not take them with him. So the beginning part of chapter 18 of Exodus is the story of Moses, of Jethro returning Moses' wife and sons to him. They've already had the ten plagues. They've already come out of, across the Red Sea. They are already out of Egypt. Pharaoh's dead. The army's destroyed and all that. So it's safe. And Jethro brings Moses' wife and sons back to Moses. And uh, if you read the first 12 verses, it's quite amazing. Because Moses recounted all God did. And Jethro rejoiced over it and said, you know, the Lord really is God. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the next morning. Uh, Jethro comes out and sees Moses sitting in this long line of Israelites standing, waiting for their turn to talk to Moses. How commendable is that? The man is so sacrificial of his time to sit from morning to night. Giving each person a chance to talk to him personally. How humble he was to do that. How noble. How selfish. How prideful. I've had people over the years accuse me of being proud because we've started all these different Ministries. You know what I've said to them? (laughs) You don't know anything about pride and humility. Because if I was proud, let me tell you what I'd do if I was proud. There would be one pulpit. There would be one service. No multiple services. And there'd be one preacher. And everybody else would be the audience. That's not almost right. That's 100% right. It's not pride that multiplies ministries. It's humility that multiplies ministries. So Moses was quite proud of what he was doing. When Moses, verse 14, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he noticed carefully, the way the translators translated in the King James, When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did, what? Would you want to put that back on screen, please? That's 14. 
and if you could work it so it just stays there until I go to the next one, I'd appreciate it. No timeout. No screensaver. Let's destroy the screen with the word. The projector too. Kidding. Partially. Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people. That's not what Moses thought he was doing. Moses thought he was doing this for the people. And in case you're, you missed it the first time, the scripture says, he said, when Moses' father-in-law saw that he did to the people, he said, what is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself, get this word, alone? And all the people stand by thee from morning unto even. Because the lone ranger preacher that does it all himself to set an example is full of pride. That's not humility. Many, 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 many years ago, in the 70s, we were growing. And I was trying to do it because I wanted it done the W-R-I-G-H-T way. It was as important to me that things were done the way I wanted them done as the outcome of what was done. Well, the Lord in his kindness and wisdom allowed me to be so overwhelmed I couldn't get everything done. So I tried to find people that would do some of it. But I wanted not only for, for them to do it, I wanted them to do it the way I would do it. And the Lord said to me, just as clear as I'm standing here, what matters the most to you? That it gets done or that it's done the way you would do it if you were doing it? Let's see. Is this a trick question? Because there's only one right answer. Each individual is going to do the same job a different way. So the, the, the ultimate result has to be the priority. Not how each of us would do it. Now, I love my wife. And my wife is sweet and spiritual and smart, but you never seen two two people that do thing the same thing differently than us. There's all kind of things we do different. My wife is a good driver, even though she was taught by her dad. And I've never ridden with anybody that scared me to death more than my father-in-law did. I wish that was not true, but it is. He worked for years before he got married to my mother-in-law driving a city bus in Pensacola. And when I met my wife and visited her family, he had a little blue Volkswagen van, 30 horsepower. And he drove that van as if it was a city bus. Expecting everybody to get out of the way. 
First time I rode with him, I said, God, if you'll get me home alive, I don't know if I'll ever let myself be in this position again. My wife was a good driver, but you know what? You ride with me driving up Ritchie Highway. I know which lane I'm going to be in at each light. I know when to move here, when to move there to minimize my time. Because I'm not doing anything illegal. But if there are three lanes at a light, you think I'm sitting in the longest lane? Because that's the lane I pulled up in? You're kidding, right? I'm not doing it. So I'm moving over. And I, I'm going up that outside lane as long as it's e- legal to do it. Because that's the quickest way. Now, if I'm riding with her, she's not doing all that stuff. So you know what I have to do? It's for us to stay saved and married. I got to get my iPad out or my phone and quit watching how she's driving. Because she doesn't appreciate my input. Would you like to drive? No, 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 no. Then let me drive. Now when I'm driving, she doesn't nag me. She always just appeals to a higher power. If I'm doing something that that she doesn't agree with, she never says a word to me. It's just, cheese, 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 cheese. And her foot's pushing on the floorboard, trying to put on the brake. That's it. That actually makes me mad. If you got a problem with my driver, talk to me, not him. Just talk to me. You don't have to pray. <laughs> the point I'm making is, with this little story, is the two of us are very different when it comes to the way we do stuff. But you know what I've learned? If I just keep my mouth shut, get my mind occupied by something else, and don't watch that she's sitting in the longest line at the light. And just don't worry about that. Okay, so we get there 30 seconds slower. A minute slower. Five minutes slower. If it mattered to you, you'd be driving. Just shut up. Get your mind occupied. Because... She's going to get us there. Just not like I would get us there. I had to learn that the end result was the only thing that mattered. And I had to trust people. If I was going to trust somebody to do something, I had to trust them to do it their way. As long as it got done. Now, i got to be honest with you. I shouldn't tell this. It's a deep, dark secret. That's not easy for preachers to do. It's not. It's not easy for preachers to do. It is not easy for preachers to accept the fact. They have to accept the fact they're not perfect. They live with themselves. And if they believe they're perfect, then they're in bad shape. That's the bad shape. 
if they believe that they don't make any mistakes. So they know they do. But somehow they want their people to be perfect. And that's so counterproductive. So here's Moses. He thinks he's doing this great thing. And his father-in-law kind of loses it on him. What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone? And all the people stand by thee from morning unto even. Verse 15. And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. They don't have to learn to pray. They come and I do the praying for them. They don't have to learn how to follow God. They don't have to learn how to hear from God. They just, if they're willing to come and stand in line, I am willing to give them the answers. Isn't that what a pastor's supposed to be doing? Eh, wrong answer. That's not what the Bible says a pastor's supposed to be doing. It's not what, that's not what a pastor does. That's what a traditional pastor does. That's what a pre-Jethro edict preacher does. But it's not what men of God are called to do. So, we go a little farther. And, and he says, uh, uh, when they have a matter, they come unto, verse 16, when they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another. And I do make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's pretty noble. <laughs> Did you get this now? People come because they want to inquire of God and Moses does the praying for them and gets an answer for them. And he judges between one another and settles their disputes. And he makes them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said, Hey, man, I'm sorry I called you on that. I, I just didn't understand. It's okay. You can put that next screen verse on the screen. I don't think that's what he did. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. What? Did you hear that? The thing that thou doest is not good. People are coming, they're asking for the will of God, and you, and he's, and he's praying and finding the will of God for them, and if they have a dispute, he's settling their disputes, and he is telling them the words of God. And Moses' father-in-law says, what you're doing is not good. Woo. Hello. Hello. Is anybody here? Is it on the back screen? Whoa, it's bigger back there than it is back here. The thing that thou doest is what? Am I preaching to anybody that believes the word of God? Even if it contradicts your expectations. Even if you, it contradicts what you think good is out of the preacher. Well, let me tell you why it's not good. 
You know who's being harmed by this? The people that he's ministering to are the ones being harmed. How can you say that? Let's find out how they're being harmed. Okay? Verse 17, And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. 18, Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. You may be doing with it, doing okay with it today. But how are you going to be doing a year from now if you're keeping this up? 19. <laughs> Hearken now unto my voice. And I will give thee counsel. And God shall be with thee, implied, if you listen to my counsel. You listen to my counsel, God's going to be with you. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayst bring, mayst bring the causes unto God. And he's talking about the causes that affect the entire body. It's not saying that Moses didn't pray for any individual situations, but his primary responsibility were those things that affected everybody. And thou shalt teach them the ordinances and laws of God. Thou shalt show them the way wherein they must walk or how they're supposed to live as a child of God and the work that they must do. Guess what? They didn't have any work to do. Moses was doing it all. So guess who's being harmed? By the Lone Ranger preacher. The people. That he's doing all this for. And essentially doing it to. What is he doing to them? He is depriving them. Of their place. And ministry. In the kingdom of God. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. My wife is a great cook. And she loves to cook. Most of the time. But trust me. It's hard for her to even throw sandwiches together and open a can of soup. That just grates her. She feels like she is failing her responsibilities by opening a can of soup and making a grilled cheese sandwich. She feels like she's cheating. She's not doing her job. But you know what? She doesn't fool me because I see the relief that she feels sometimes when she can just sit down and eat and get up and walk away. Pretty nice when that happens occasionally. I hate restaurants, including Burger King. I hate restaurant food. I'd rather have a ham and cheese sandwich at her table than the. This is the one hundred percent gospel truth. I would rather have a ham and cheese sandwich at her table than the finest steak in the most expensive restaurant in this country. And if you don't believe that is the truth, ask her. 
There is no restaurant whose food impresses me and makes me want, just can't wait to go back. But the bottom line is, I'm more than happy to eat wherever she wants to eat because it gives her a break. Understand that. But everybody has a work to do. The spiritually immature only participate to receive. What am I getting out of this? Let me tell you something. There is such a cap in your growth in God. When you're only participating to get. You cannot, you will not mature beyond a certain place spiritually. You or your faith will not grow. Your prayer life will not grow. You will not feel fulfilled. You will feel empty. You will wonder what in the world is missing. You'll go looking for things outside of the things of God because you're so empty and unfulfilled. Because there's only one way to truly be fulfilled in God. And that's to be involved with doing the things of God. Not just having them done for you. Now trust me, I'd be happy to cook, but my wife probably wouldn't eat it. I can make peanut butter and jelly. Come on now. I know how to make a ham. I can even make a banana sandwich in a pinch. I know how to get the cereal out myself. I know how to pour my own milk. I know how to open a candy package by myself. I mean, I even can make peanut butter and crackers and rather than have them out of the package in a pinch. I'm a culinary master. When it comes to junk, she doesn't want any of that. She doesn't think you're eating if you're eating junk. She eats sandwiches grudgingly. But I appreciate that. Again, the point is, I, I'm not a great cook. I can't cook in her place. But the one thing I can do once in a while is to make sure she doesn't have to cook. And while I don't like restaurant food, I will go where, where she wants to. Whatever she wants to eat, I'll go there and find something to eat just so she gets a break once in a while. But when we're out of town... The number one reason I want to come home is I get to eat at home again. Oh, I love all of you and I love the things of God and that's all important. It's all part of it. But eating in a restaurant is so... I just forget it. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it. Everybody's got something to do. Everybody's got a place. Everybody's got... A way to be fulfilled. If you're sitting. I'm going to tell you something right now. If I was you. Now. (laughs) They told me today. 
in the executive council meeting, I was going to say this tonight. And I don't want to make them false prophets. So here it comes. I know who I'm talking to. This is the Thursday night crowd. If I were you, I would be going to whichever is my senior elder over either the mother church because I'm going there or to Antioch West or Antioch of Baltimore and I would say, Pastor, give me something to do. I am not satisfied just sitting. Was that deputy dog that used to go ah, 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 ah in the cartoons all those years ago? What? Snuffles. Snuffles. I'm not quoting snuffles. Deputy dog used to go ah, 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 ah. I don't care if it was who it was, but I'm not quoting snuffles. There's a lot of people, though, that come to church. And they walk in and they say to the preacher and to the worship team, Ah, 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 ah. And you know what? You After a while, you look like a spiritual Java the Hutt. Or Hunt or Hutt, whatever he was. You know what I'm talking about, the blob? Because all you do have input, you don't have any output. Because you're not involved. You're being deprived. It's the will of God for you to be a part. That's what Moses was charged to do because he wasn't doing it. He was doing it himself, which meant that there was no place for anybody else. The only thing everybody else could do was to receive. They couldn't give. And it is said in the book, it is more blessed to give than receive. And if you think that's talking about money, the Bible says that giving is the least form of faithfulness you can participate in. Because if God can't count on you to do that which is least, he can't trust you with more. So that's the least. Being faithful with your finances is absolutely the least lowest level of faithfulness there is. So if you're going to be faithful, you got to find something else to do. If you're going to be faithful. That doesn't fulfill you. It doesn't satisfy. And I have been known to just wait Till somebody comes to me. Oh, I've had something in mind for them to do for a long time. But if I go to them, they're doing me a favor. I wait on them. They come to me. Okay. You want to do something? Okay. Got something for you. You pray about it. See if it fits. Why haven't you come to me before now? Because until it matters enough to you 
come and ask for a place because you want to be a part. It'll never be yours. Do you know how many years I prayed for us to be able to reach the Spanish? Almost 15 years before God finally provided somebody who could preach, who spoke fluent Spanish, who could preach the Spanish. I can't tell you the number of times I said to God, I'm willing to do it, but you, you, you'd have to give me the language. And that, I have a hard time speaking English. Forget Spanish. So, you gotta send somebody. We need a Spanish preacher. The burden was there for a long time. The willingness was there for a long time. But the person with the ability to do it wasn't there. As soon as he was, we did. So listen to what, what Jethro told Moses. Moreover, let me read verse 20 again. Thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men. And here's the point. If you go to Numbers 11, and don't go there. If you go to Numbers 11, I'm talking about the screen. You go to Numbers 11 and Moses asked for help. God gave him 70 elders from among the elders. That's not where these leaders came from. They weren't elders chosen from among elders to help oversee Israel. They were chosen from among the people. And we would call them saints. They weren't preachers. They weren't elders. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people, able men. He's not talking about naturally able men. Notice, here is the abilities. Here are the abilities that he told Moses to look for. Here's the ability. Such as fear God, men of truth. And hating covetousness. Didn't say what their educational background was. What their skill level was. What their natural job description was. None of those things. Here are the abilities I'm looking for. They fear God. They're men of truth. And they hate covetousness. Didn't say they had the ability to speak. Didn't say they were the most powerful prayer warriors. And what are you going to do with those, Moses? And place such over them, over the people, to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. Now, there were approximately 600,000 Men between the ages of 20 and 50 in Israel. You could not, were not allowed to go to war as an Israelite till you turned 20. 
And you did not war, except unless you were an unusual case, like Caleb and Joshua, after you turned 50. And in 99.9999999% of the cases, each one of these men were married by the time they were 20. So these 600,000 men were 600,000 heads of household, the way we would call household. Father, husband, wife, uh, husband of a wife, father of children, head of a household. So a captain of 10 had the oversight of 10 families. A captain of 50 oversaw five captains of 10. He wasn't over 50 families. He was over five captains of 10. The captains of hundreds were over two captains of 50. Who were over five captains of 10 who were over 10 families. And of course the ruler of thousands were over 10 captains of 10. These were levels of oversight and authority. And none of them were preachers. None of them were elders in Israel. None of them. They were all from among the people. Verse 22. And let them allow them to. Give them the authority to. Let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that. It shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee. But every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself. And they shall bear the burden with thee. And in bearing the burden, I'm adding here the explanation. And in bearing the burden with thee, you give them a place. You give them an opportunity. You give them a ministry. You give them a way to give so that they could grow and mature and be closer to God. I love you. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm going to take a drink before I say it. But if you've been saved a while and you're currently sitting in between responsibilities, spiritual responsibilities in this church, I'm worried about you. I really am worried about you. It is hard to stay saved and have a right attitude when you're not involved because it's too easy to sit back and fall into the pattern of giving your opinion right or wrong on stuff. And I don't care who you are. If you're not actively involved in a place in the ministry, you can deny it, but I promise you, you find yourself giving an opinion of right and wrong on stuff. You what? Uninvolved people always have an opinion. And it rarely ever comes from God like they claim it does. 
oh, I, I'm sensitive to the Spirit. Yeah, if you were sensitive to the Spirit, you'd be involved in the harvest field. Because that's where the Spirit is leading people that are sensitive to the Spirit. And if you're sitting on a seat, and that's what you do service after service, and you don't have a responsibility. I'm talking to people now. It's most 90% of the people in this room have been around a while. Well, I don't know what I can do. You haven't asked. When's the last time you taught a Bible study? When's the last time you didn't walk out of here without talking to somebody you don't personally know? Coming or going. Just because you shake hands with all your friends doesn't make you ministering. Oh, but I'm checking them out to see how they're doing. Really? 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 So what are you going to recommend they do? Be like you? You're checking them out to see... If they're involved like you are in giving the thumbs up and thumbs down on everything, is that too harsh? Okay. True. Whether you like it or not. Not intended to be offensive. I'm just trying to make a point here. Oh, God, have mercy. He shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have acted like that. He shouldn't, you know, I tell you what you do. You match my prayer every day and my searching of the word and your opinion of what I'm preaching and how I'm preaching it will be welcomed. Because I don't do this without waiting on God. And neither do these other men. They wait on God. We don't stand up here to entertain ourselves. Not trying to be unkind. Hear me, please, I'm not trying to be unkind. But uninvolved people can't help but be critical. It goes with the territory. You don't put holes in the boat that you're in. If you're not in the boat, it doesn't feel like a big deal to shoot holes in it. You're not in the boat. But you get in the boat and be involved with the rest of us, you won't be putting holes in this boat. You won't be standing on the shore with your pot shot shooting holes in it. Well, look at that. Look at this. They ought not to be rowing like that. Really? Well, why don't you come grab a sh- an oar and show us how? Because that's what this is all about, folks. Moses was doing it all for them. But in effect, he was doing it to them. He wasn't helping them. He was harming them. Let me tell you something. When you know how to find your own peace, and you know how to trust God for yourself, you know what every pastor is trying to be? Trying to be a good parent. I love my sons. And they both occasionally ask for my advice. And I willingly give it. But let me tell you something. If by this time. They don't have a pretty good idea of what they're supposed to be doing. 
were all in trouble. And I'm talking about in their homes. One of them's got four teenagers. And the other will have three within nine years. Three teenagers. <laughs> in nine years, the youngest one's going to have three teenagers in the house. But he's going to have three teenagers longer than the eldest has got four. Because he's only got one year where he's got four teenagers. If you don't have it figured out by now, that doesn't mean we don't all need help. There's people I call say, hey, let me bounce this off of you. That's not what I'm talking about here. But you know what? You man enough to stand down front and let a woman walk up the aisle to you? You just gained a wife and lost a daddy. I'm going to be dead. But the, you know this relationship we've had all these years where I, I share my opinion, ask or not, not happening. You say I do, I say I don't anymore. That's not fair. No, it is fair. I had a right to make my decisions. They got a right to make theirs. I had a right to be wrong. They have a right to be wrong. <laughs> my wife loves me enough. She wouldn't answer, I hope. But if you think every decision I've ever made has been right or good, <laughs> you, you're so far off, it's ridiculous, I, you know. But she's been patient with me and kind with me, even when it's been expensive on a few occasions. Because she knows I do the best I can. So you know what? Again, if you're if you got your hands on one of the oars, you're you're not you're not finding fault with everything going on. But if you're standing on the shore as a spectator. Hey, if everybody who watches a football game and says what they would have done could really do that, we'd have a whole bunch of multimillionaires around. But there's a reason why you're in the stand and they're on the field. They can do it. Well, in the kingdom of God, that doesn't work, you see. In the kingdom of God, Everybody's equipped to do what God's called you to do. I'm not trying to be unkind here. But this is a new day at Antioch. We're not going back to the old day. This is a new day. We're not trying to replicate or duplicate anything from the past. We're moving into a new place. It's a new dimension. It's a new time. And excuse the nautical term that others have said, and I'm going to say, it's time for all hands on deck. Why? Because God is giving us. I, I don't. I, I don't know if they've heard the testimony. Do you know at Antioch this past weekend, nine people received the Holy Ghost. Nine this past weekend. Okay, I know they were spread out. I think there were four here Sunday morning. Nine. Nobody broke out in a sweat. Nobody's spreading. What are we going to do with all these people? We're going, okay, nine. Isn't that wonderful? Next. 
I don't mean that caustically. But the point is, this structure's not under any kind of strain right now. And it's not going to be under strain this year, no matter how many people God gives us. Because we're ready for it. We're ready for growth. Is everything perfect? No, not everything's perfect. I don't care how great a designer you are, engineer you are. You run all the numbers and you, you do all your calculations and you may have the best software design program there is. But after you've come up with your prototype from your perfect calculations, you put that prototype under load and you're going to tweak it some. At the very least, you're going to tweak it some. Let's see, i got all these parts of this computer and all of them work, and so I'm going to put all these together, and this is going to work. This is going to work. This is going to work. And then you got to go looking for what the problem is because it's not working. But it should be working because it's, I designed it, and it's perfect. Nah. So, all this new direction. Is there going to be tweaking? Of course there's going to be tweaking. That's the process. That's the way the Lord does stuff. But you know the purpose of all this? To create more opportunities for people to be involved in the kingdom. Do you know how many churches there are in the United Pentecostal Church where there's just no room for people to be involved. I know churches that have three and four preachers. And there's no room for them to be involved. I know churches that have three and four keyboard players. And they only have one keyboard. And only a couple of services a week. So they have to take turns. So that everybody has a chance. You know what the problem is at Antioch? we got more opportunities for somebody to be in a pulpit than people to put in a pulpit. We've got more opportunities for people to be involved in worship and playing instruments than we got people that are skilled enough to play the instruments or anointed enough to lead the worship. We've got more Sunday school opportunities than we've got people willing to teach. We've got more places where somebody with a burden for children, burden for children, Would have, have an opportunity to teach. <laughs> we came to town. My wife would play the organ on Sunday. And she turned it to me. For, uh, it was time for me to preach. She'd go take all the kids out teach Sunday school. She'd get through teaching Sunday school, bring the kids back in and come back to the organ so we could close the service. And when we finally had somebody to take that over, that wasn't easy for her to give up. You said, that was a lot of work. Yeah, but she loved it. If you know her at all, she has loved kids forever. She hadn't said this to me, and this may not be true, but I, I think she could have been happy for years being just a Sunday school superintendent. Look how many years she led the school. Loved it. Loved it. She loves kids. Loves babies. Ooh, babies. Love babies. And I thank all of you that had babies for her to love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for providing babies for her to love them. So I didn't have to clothe them and feed them while she loved on them. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you to my sons for having babies for her to love on that I don't have to clothe and feed. And don't have to discipline. I can send them home to you. Everybody's got a place. Everybody's got a place. Verse 23. Here's the message. I'm almost done. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so. Do you know what those words right there did? It took all of Jethro's instructions and took them out of the realm of advice into the realm of a word from God. Those few words, and God command thee so. One of my, and I use this in the most secular, non-religious context. One of my mantras forever, as long as I can remember in leadership, is you don't confuse decision making and problem solving. You know why some people are not good decision makers? Because they're not going to make a decision when they don't have all the answers to the problems they know are going to happen. And they're afraid of all the, all the answers, the problems they don't know are going to happen. And if they don't know all the answers to the problems they know they about, then how are they going to make it with all the questions and problems that they don't know about? You know, you know, part of the one of the most important requirements of being a good decision maker, you can't be afraid of being wrong. People that are afraid of being wrong are not good folks to have in charge where they are the ultimate decision maker. They will paralyze the whole thing. They have their place. They have a very important place. But they can't be the primary decision maker. They'll bog it all down. They know this inherently in themselves. They know they bog stuff down. Because they can't figure it all out before they pull the trigger. I've had people for years that were under the opinion that I fly by the seat of my pants. I don't. I don't go off half cocked. It looks like it sometimes, but trust me, I do not. I know people that think I'm impulsive. That's only because you don't know how long I prayed and waited on God for direction. I'm going to obey God, but I'm not impulsive. I'm not afraid of being wrong. Not afraid of making decisions, even wrong ones. Because I'm trying to do right. And I'm waiting on God. And I feel like if God... Leads me to do something, gives me peace to do it, I'm doing it. But here's the problem. Listen carefully. Spiritually, you never judge a decision by how it turned out. You may judge natural decisions like that, 
But you can't ever judge spiritual decisions like that. The only way you judge a spiritual decision, no matter how it turns out, good, bad, or otherwise, is you have to go back and you re-examine the process you use spiritually to make that decision. Did I pray? Did I get neutral before God rather than trying to influence Him one way or the other? Did I wait on Him? When I got direction, did I test it? Did I prove it? Did I wait till there was confirmation of it to the best of my understanding of what confirmation was? If I did all of that and more, then I made a decision as good as I can make. The outcome is completely unimportant in judging the value of that decision. How do I know that? You go to the book. Jesus said to the disciples, let's go to the other side. They're in the will of God. They're going to the other side of the lake, the sea. And guess what? They get out away from land pretty good ways and a storm comes. Ooh, they made a bad decision. Really? That's a bad decision. Or is it possible the one that led you to make that decision, you launch out from the shore, let's go to the other side, knew there was a storm coming. I'll never forget it. It was Windsor Avenue. My, there was a small foyer, two small bathrooms, one toilet, one sink, and each one male. Female was on the right, male was on the left. There was a set of glass doors, glass windows here, and you walk through those back, those double doors. There was seating area and then a platform, and then there was two small offices back there. And on the left-hand side, that was my office. And I was sitting in there one day, and things were not going well. And I said, I thought, I thought you said this was your will. I thought you, I, I waited on you. I prayed and, and I thought this was your will. And look how it's turning out. I said, what, what have I, how have I missed it? What have I done wrong? And the Lord said, what did Job do wrong? How did he miss it? See, we don't want to hear that, but it's true. What did Joe do wrong? How did he miss it? And that day was the first time in all of my years in Pentecost, and at that time it was almost, I was almost 30. And I'd had the Holy Ghost 18 years almost about that time. It was the first time in my life that I understood that sometimes the will of God leads you into a storm. That sometimes the will of God leads you into trouble and problems. Sometimes the will of God 
doesn't turn out like you want it to. Turns out like he planned it, not like what you expected. And that when you're surrendering to God to, to find and do the will of God, you may not always like the results, but the peace comes because you're in the will of God. I'll say it one more time. This verse takes this out of being advice from a father-in-law into being a word from God, from a prophet of God. I got a question. Is the message of this passage of Scripture any less of a command today to Antioch than it was, than it was to Moses? Is this any less of a command for you than it was for Moses? If thou shalt do this thing and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all of his, out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. In other words, we have got to be involved in doing the will of God. This is the passage of Scripture that God first showed me when I was searching the Word for New Testament church structure. I had elders say to me when I first came to town, Brother Wright, don't trust the saints, they'll split your church. Brother Wright, you can't trust saints. Don't give them too much to do. Don't give them too much of an opportunity. They'll just cause you trouble. They'll split the church up. Well, I respected the men that said that to me, but something down in here said, I don't believe that. I was a saint for a long time before I became a preacher. And I never thought about splitting a man's church or causing trouble. I just wanted the things of God. And I can't believe that all the people of God are just troublemakers if you give them an opportunity to be involved. And I rejected that advice. And initially, one of the things, first things God got us involved with, within a year and a half of being in town, two years, we got involved with bus ministry. Because we didn't, I didn't know a whole lot of other things to how to multiply ministry back then. And so we got involved with bus ministry. And all of a sudden there were people that had an opportunity by working on buses. And some drove the buses and some did visitation. And some uh, went and picked up the kids that were on visitation. And others taught them. And then they took them home. And we met the families and invited the parents to church. And people got saved. It 
Anybody ever heard of Ann Savoy? Now named Ann Lawson. One of the first adults that came to our church because her kids had been coming. How many of your lives have been touched because saints of God went out knocking on doors and invited people to church? And Savoy Lawson was an alcoholic. Single mother, had four children at home, uninvolved dad. Came to church because her kids were coming and liked it. Her kids were feeling loved. Her kids were feeling like somebody cared. They came to church. They went home and told her mother about it. God spoke to her. She started coming. God delivered her of her alcoholism. Gave her the Holy Ghost. She got baptized in Jesus' name. And for probably 35 years was a mother in Zion in this church. How many of you has has she mothered over the years? She mothered my wife (laughs) at times. She mothered my sons at times. Mighty woman of God. You know how she was one? People of God, not preachers. People of God out knocking on doors. Inviting kids to church. Showed enough love that a mother began to think, if they could love my kids like that, they might be able to love me too. Anybody know Sister Trombley? That's her mother. Sister Trombley, Terry Trombley, Terry Savoy Trombley was one of those kids that were coming to church that helped get their mother to come. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? To be involved, to have a chance to give, to care, to let God use you to minister to people. There's a lot of ways to be involved here. But one of the most important ones is in the care ministry. A lot of folks got bored with the care ministry. You know why? Hear me, I'm telling you in the name of Jesus, by the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, why people got bored with the care ministry. Because their care groups got turned inward and didn't continue to bring more people in. And they became so inward focused. It all became so predictable and unfulfilling. A care group is supposed to grow and divide. Grow and divide. Grow and divide. And more saints are supposed to be giving themselves over to leadership and becoming trained so that they can become an assistant care group leader and then eventually have their own care group. And then now they're training an assistant care group leader and their group is growing and they divide. Care, care groups don't become stale and boring that are not turned inward, that continue 
Hear me, folks. It is impossible to take care of the harvest that's coming to this church by church service ministry alone. Can't be done. Can't be done. It is absolutely essential that the people of God, the mother dimension of leadership, is willing to help take care of these babies. Let me tell you something. There's so many of you sitting here. You may not think it, but I can remember when you got saved. I remember watching you grow. I remember how awesome it felt to watch you begin to change. To watch you begin to mature. To begin to take on responsibility. To begin to be givers and not takers. I began to watch that. There is nothing in this world more fulfilling than to watch your child grow up and become a responsible spiritual adult. The one you've reached, the one that God gave you the words to witness to, the one maybe you were helped praying with when they got the Holy Ghost, the one you baptized. It, became, it was a hard thing for me to start letting other people do the baptizing and me give that up. That was hard to do, but it was the will of God for others to have that experience. But hear me, to watch, to watch a person come out of darkness into light and begin to grow and develop and begin to get equipped and learn, get experience and learn how to help others and minister to others and, and see other people get saved and watch them begin to help that other person grow and develop and get involved and watch that, 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 that long chain of spiritual fruitfulness just constantly grow and reproduce and reproduce. <sighs> uh, every once in a while I'm tempted to, to want to see what my great-grandchildren are going to look like until I realize they have to grow more to do that. And that means the clock's not stopped for me. So I got to get older for them to get older. And I suddenly decided I can wait on great-grandchildren. Ah, it's no problem. That's, uh, just take your time. Let the, let the seconds tick by at the right pace. Let the minutes go by at the right rate. Let's not speed any of this up. Except spiritually. Let's see harvest. You need to understand something. The elders of this church are under the load of a command from the word and the spirit of God. To make room for the people of God to be involved in the kingdom of God. You may not choose to do that. You say, well, I'm not capable of this. You know what? I'm not a rocket scientist. And we've had people come to this church that had high IQs. Was I intimidated by them? Oh, no, no, no. 
you got to have some folks with some high spiritual and natural IQs to reach some of those eggheads out there. If that's one of you, you just know how it's shaped. God saves a diversity of people to use them to reach a diversity of people. I'm going to say that again. God saves a diversity of people to reach a diversity of people. <laughs> oh, Lord. I talked about how much my wife loves kids. I love kids, too. You put me in front of 500 preachers that are older and more experienced than me and give me a word from God, and I don't even break a sweat. There's no pressure. But when they used to call and say, would you come do chapel for the school? Oh, God. Oh, God. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? Oh, oh, God. Put me in a class of eight-year-olds. They'll be in charge really quick. I, I don't have a gift. I, I have such great admiration and respect for those that have a gift to be able to minister to children. I love children, but I don't know how to do that. I've never taught, it's a secret, I've never taught Sunday school in my life. Hey, my first job in a church after I started the ministry, I was Sunday school superintendent. And had never taught Sunday school. Thank God I had a wife. She took care of that part. You know what the job was I did? I organized the visitation to fill up the Sunday school so she could lead the people teaching them. And we'd been married six weeks when I got became Sunday school superintendent. December 1968. Sunday school superintendent for an entire year. All of 1969 at Beach Haven Apostolic Church, Pensacola, Florida. Sunday school superintendent. There's some of you, if you were asked to get up here, you'd have a coronary. Put you in a room with, with a bunch of kids. It's the most natural thing in the world. I don't mean carnal. I mean, that's your thing. You can do that. Everybody has a different gifting. God has prepared each one of us to reach different people, to care for different people. you got a place. And finding your place and obeying God is the only way you're ever going to find peace and fulfillment. It's the only way. Only way you're going to find peace and fulfillment. Father, I have done what you've told me to do. I have said what you've given me to say. I have said it with the words and the emotions that you wanted it said. And I commit this word to you. And even with so much of Antioch not in the building, in this auditorium tonight, those that you wanted to hear it have heard it. And others may hear it as days go by. And I commit this word to you, to everyone who hears it. 
that you will let this word cause this word to work in their hearts and minds and spirits and not leave them alone but to work in their hearts and spirits until something says inside of them I got to get involved I got to find my place I've got to do my part in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I commit it to you and you alone to make it so for no one else but you can make it so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the authority that's given unto me I bless you with authority to cover you in your going and coming in your doing in your praying in your witnessing in your labor with him and him through you I speak grace, mercy, and peace upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is so. Let it be so. In Jesus' name, God bless you.